Wow, what kind of introduction was that dogging on Michigan? Man, good morning, Journey Online. Good morning, Journey in person. It's great to be here and uh, as a partner of this church. I'm so thankful for how uh, you help us plant new churches. Oh, that's right. Thank you. It's been a long day already. Uh, where was I? It's uh, great to be here this morning, and I want to thank you for being a partner. We uh, plant churches. Since 1990, uh, we, uh, we have planted 45 churches around the Mid-Atlantic region. We've got a, a map kind of that shows the footprint of the area where we plant churches. And when I say we plant churches, I mean we plant churches. That uh, uh, all the churches that support Waypoint uh, here in, uh, in the Mid-Atlantic, we can do more together than we ever could individually. And so you've helped us to plant 45 new churches all over the Mid-Atlantic, including two that my family's been a part of. Uh, what's that? Something to applaud. That's right. Uh, my, church came, my family came to Virginia 23 years ago to plant a church in Virginia Beach. And then we planted another one about 15 years ago in Richmond. And uh, we also helped another church get started about 10 years ago in Chapel Hill with this young couple, Chad and Kara uh, Simpkins, and their little kids at the time. And uh, so we've got a great partnership with you all since your very beginning. And if you're new to this church, you may not know that there's a long legacy of church planting through this church since it began in the middle 1970s. And so I want to thank you for your partnership with us ever since then when this church got started. And so we did a little calculating, and uh, of those 45 churches that you helped us to get started uh, since, since we started those, uh, we have had well more than 8,000 baptisms in those churches. And uh, so that's, that's something to be proud of. We're really glad that our churches are reaching new people. Thank you for applauding. If you can applaud for anything today, today, that's worth applauding for, isn't it? And, uh, and, but, but get this, of the 8,000 baptisms that we've had in the last 30 years, more than 1,000 of them have been in the last two years alone actually more than 1,100. And so are the churches that you're helping us to start are uh, making a significant impact in their communities, reaching new people for Christ. So I wanna show you a real quick video of just one of those churches here in the DMV. Uh, it's Collective Church in Frederick in the north side of town and just uh, the baptisms that they had last year in the uh, middle school where they meet. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. 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 Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. 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 My Lord. My Lord. My Lord. My Lord. And my Savior. And my Savior. My Savior. And my Savior. And my Savior. Upon that confession of faith, and I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
that great? Now, I was just thinking, I wasn't prepared to say this, but I was just reminded that that church in Frederick is in a way a granddaughter church of this church. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, 25 years ago, this church sent Brett Andrews, their associate minister, to plant a church near Dulles, this new airport called Dulles, uh, way out there in the, in the country, and plant a New Life Christian Church. Uh, and then uh, several years in, this uh, broken family, messed up family, attended one of their outreach events, and uh, came, the whole family came to faith, and then the little boy grew up, and the church planter of a uh, collective church in Frederick was that family, that boy that grew up in that church, and now is planted a church in Frederick. So uh, you all have a great legacy of church planting since you began uh, in the 1970s that continues even today. So thank you for that. I want to encourage you to put my hat on as the executive director. If you'd like to partner with Waypoint personally to help us plant more churches more often to reach more people, we've got this little um, initiative that we have called iplantchurches.com. And we have, uh, actually this church has probably more individuals that's, that are part of iplantchurches.com than, than practically any church in our partnership. And so uh, if you are lo local here, if you'd like to go to that and sign up to give $5 a month to help us plant more churches, or if you're online, go ahead and, and pull that up as well while I'm talking. If I'm getting really boring, you can go, you can go on your computer and, and sign up. But we would love you to join us in planting more churches more often to reach more people here in the DMV. So thank you for that. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about what, what uh, I believe is one of the most misunderstood simple verses in the Bible. And, uh, and then hopefully make a really good personal application for all of us at the end. And if you've grown up in church, this, this simple passage of the Bible is probably one that you've heard more than one sermon series preached on. And if you're like me and grew up in church going to Sunday school and VBS and church camp, uh, it's, it's probably a verse that you actually memorized. If you had memorized any Bible verses, this is one of those Bible verses you would have memorized. It's that passage in the book of Galatians in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is describing uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. He's describing the characteristics of a Spirit-filled life. When you are a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit indwells you, like the Bible promises, this is the, a depiction of what that looks like. And so if you've got your Bibles with you or your app, we're going to put it on the screen. Uh, we want to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And so the Bible writes, the Apostle Paul said, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's pretty simple, isn't it? How can you misunderstand that passage? Well, here's how. Almost always, this passage is described as a list of nine separate qualities that a believer needs to grow in to be a more, more mature Christ follower. And nearly always, they're depicted as nine separate fruit like you'd find in a fruit basket or when you go to the grocery store. I've got a picture uh, of uh, a book that I found on Amazon with nine separate fruit. Actually, there's only eight, uh, so I don't know which one they left out, but, uh, but eight separate fruit. So are you with me? That's kind of how we think of this passage is nine separate fruit. But the reason this isn't the best way to understand this passage is because of the, the original Greek word which the Apostle Paul used for the word fruit. It's this Greek word karpos. Karpos. And the interesting thing about, about this Greek word karpos is that it is in the singular form. Now in the English language, 
The word fruit is one of those odd words that are the same whether they're singular or plural, right? There's fruit and fruit. It's kind of like there's moose singular or moose plural. It's not moose and mooses, mooseses, however you would say that. It's moose or moose, right? And, and, but in the Greek language, karpos, fruit, is definitively singular. Isn't that interesting? And that gives this biblical passage a whole new flavor, pun intended. You see what I did there? Flavor, fruit, uh, there we go. Now, some Bible commentators use this interesting word, this oxymoronic term, either singular plurality or plural singularity to describe this this word. Now, you know what an oxymoron is, right? It's two words that put together that at first glance, they don't seem like they go together, but then when you think about it a little bit, they kind of do, kind of like jumbo shrimp, right? That's an oxymoron. Or maybe you've got, uh, know someone at work who is consistently inconsistent, Or maybe you've got a friend who is extremely average. Uh, Or maybe you've got a neighbor who is a devout atheist. Or uh, sometimes they'll say that there's a TV show that was a live recording. Which is it, you know? Or that an airplane makes a crash landing. And it's like, which is it? Or probably my favorite oxymoron of all time, Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl champions. Uh, They they just don't go together. So, uh, so, uh, Hail to the Redskins. Uh, So what's the implication of this different way to look at this very simple passage? Well, the Apostle Paul isn't describing nine different fruits, but rather nine qualities that you find in one fully mature fruit, one fully ripened fruit. And you don't get to pick and choose the three or four that you'd like to have or, or the, that you'd like to get, get good at. All nine need to be present for a fruit to be fully ripe. And so I'm curious, what's your favorite fruit? If I got to ask you what your favorite fruit is, what's your favorite fruit? You know, if, um, don't you hate when you buy some kind of fruit, your favorite fruit at the grocery store and you bring it home and you're ready to eat it, but then you cut into it, it's just not quite ripe yet. You know, like maybe your favorite fruit is a watermelon and you, you get a watermelon from the grocery, you can never tell whether watermelon is ripe or not, right? So you get it home, you cut into it, it's got the right color. Uh, and, but then you take a bite out of it and it's got almost no flavor at all. It's just all water and you're pretty disappointed. Or uh, maybe your favorite fruit is bananas, you know, and they're beautiful, ripe yellow or yellow looking bananas and you get them home and you open it up and it's still kind of green on the inside. It's not fully ripe yet. Or um, maybe it's blackberries. My family lives out in the country and we go on walks on, the, on country roads out there and we often will run across big old hedgerows of blackberries. And this, this summer, my, my teenage son was with us and he got a whole handfuls of blackberries that, that were black. They looked ripe, but then when he popped them in his mouth, they were still sour and bitter. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's pretty disappointing. Or maybe how about an avocado? Did you know an avocado is a fruit? You learn something new every day. An avocado is a fruit. And have you ever bought a, an avocado at the grocery store and you, you bring it home and you put it on your kitchen counter and it's not ripe yet and then you go back and you check it every day. You, you kind of push on it with your finger and it's, still, it's not ripe yet. And, and then the next day you push on it, not ripe yet. Next day you push on it, it's not ripe yet. And then, and then you go to the bathroom and five minutes later you come back and it's, it's gone bad. It's rotten. You know, that's the way it's worked with avocados, right? You know, wanna, you know why that happens? because avocados are evil. Uh, That's why it is. Well, listen, in the same way, there are Christ followers who aren't fully ripened yet, aren't there? And maybe they look pretty good on the outside, but like that watermelon, once you get to know them, they got almost no spiritual flavor at all. Or maybe like that banana, when when you 
they're still kind of green on the inside when you get to know them. Or they're not quite ripened yet. Or worse yet, someone actually looks like a mature Christ follower uh, on the outside, but like those blackberries, they're still sour and bitter on the inside. And so what I want to do right now is to reread that very simple passage with this singular plurality in mind, uh, with uh, what one fully mature fruit looks like. Not nine different fruits, but what one fully mature fruit looks like. The Apostle Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So the question is, how ripe are you? How spiritually mature are you? The question isn't which three or four are you already good at, the question is which two or three are still missing for you to be fully ripened. This past summer, we went on vacation. My family and I went on a two-week vacation to upstate New York, New York during the COVID season. It was perfect time to go. We went to Niagara Falls. Have you been to Niagara Falls before? It's my first time ever to Niagara Falls, and it is awesome. If you've never been there, you cannot describe how majestic it is. We've got a picture. It was a great time to go because, because of the COVID lockdowns, there was nobody there. We were the only people there, practically speaking. And so my, our teenage son uh, went with us, and we've actually got a little video clip of my son on the hurricane deck right underneath the falls, right here. He didn't have to take a shower for a week after that. And uh, so, uh, so we had a great time in upstate New York. And on the drive up there, uh, my wife Lisa and I had all this windshield time, which is great to travel together because you get to talk just about stuff in the car, you know? And so we've got an eight hour drive up to Niagara and uh, we've talked all about, and we got on this topic for quite a while about the fruit of the spirit for some reason. And then the, that, co- that conversation shifted to social media and how social media are, uh, is a test of how spiritually mature we are. That social media uh, is a daily test, like that avocado. Social media is a test every single day to see how ripe we are, how mature we are as a believer. And uh, to what degree do your posts and comments and even your likes on social media depict how mature of a fruit you actually are? They're a test every day, aren't they? And so again, I want to look at that passage of Scripture, very simple passage of Scripture, and read those nine qualities of a fully mature fruit. And let's read it this time with a view towards your social media use, what you post and comment on and like. All right, you ready for this? This could be painful, couldn't it? All right, the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ouch, right? Does your social media use create godly joy? Does it promote peace or more division? Is there always the flavor of kindness and goodness and gentleness? And probably most uh, telling, do you have the patience and self-control to not post or reply even when your flesh really wants to? It's a daily test of immaturity, isn't it? How ripe are you? 
Well, I don't know about you, but I've become really disappointed with how political social media has become, haven't you? Uh, I mean, by definition, social media is supposed to be social, right? Not political. Uh, it, it should be about my friends and my family. And I'm, I'm convinced that debating or bashing other people about their political views on social media is doing zero good. It's not creating much peace, but rather div- division. It's not creating m- more joy, but rather anger. And I definitely see a lack of self-control and patience. Don't you? You know, when uh, my wife and I were missionaries in the former Soviet country of Ukraine, we were there right after communism fell in a newly formed independent country. And so the politics at that time were absolutely crazy in that country. But my wife and I did not get all hyped up about all the local politics uh, that was going on around us. And and you want to know why? Because we were citizens of a different country. And we knew we were leaving and getting to go back home at some point. Now listen, Christians, over and over again, the God, God's word promises that us that we are citizens of a different country. And we know that we are leaving and going home again at some point. Just one example of that is where the Apostle Paul reminds the believers in a town called Philippi, and this is what he told them. He reminded them, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And during this year, 2020, isn't this a year where we are eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back? We are citizens of a different country. Well, uh, during that uh, time where we were on vacation in upstate New York, uh, for two weeks, we really tried to stay off of social media. And so um, we would just check Facebook uh, in the evenings uh, one, like one time. And so on July 3rd, I don't know if you guys remembered this, but our Facebook post just blew up with all of our friends who were getting to watch the Broadway musical uh, Hamilton for free on Disney+. Plus. Uh, did any of you watch Hamilton on, on Disney+. Plus? It was a new way to get members to Disney+, Plus uh, using some other show other than The Mandalorian, right? And so you had to be on Disney+, Plus, and so you could watch it for free. And, um, and in this uh, m- musical Hamilton, if you've ever seen it, there is this song near the end of the first act that's titled Yorktown. And in that song, it plays off this important theme, the world turned upside down. And... Um, And when we moved to Virginia 20 years ago to to start our first uh, church in Virginia Beach, our byline on our website said that we wanted to be a church that would love God, love people, and turn the world upside down. Now I want to let you know that we did not steal that line from the musical Hamilton. It hadn't even been composed yet. Actually, we stole that line from a line in the Bible. It's in this account in Acts chapter 17 uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, where uh, Christianity is just a couple of years old. And there's this town that no Christians had ever come to yet. And then these Christians show up in this town, and the the, uh, citizens of that town said this in verse 6, these people who have turned the world upside down have now arrived in our town too. It's like Christians already have this reputation just a couple years in for turning the world upside down. Now in that musical, uh, Hamilton, the Broadway musical, the way that the world was turned upside down is through politics, right? And there are a lot of Christ followers today who will grab onto politics as their preferred agent of change. 
But that was not the way of Jesus. That was not the, the way of the original church. Those early Christians turned the world upside down in just a couple of years, not through politics, but through love and prayer and godly service. It was spiritual change, not political change. And so I wanna encourage us in this room and online today as people who would want to turn the world upside down again, now as then, that we're not gonna do it through politics. We won't do it by trying to have more power on our particular side of the aisle. We'll do it by using the little power that we do have to serve and to love with patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. One life at a time, one heart at a time. We're gonna see life transformation happen in lives and families. And as those stories start to add up, the whole world can be turned upside down again now as it was then. So let's love God, love people, and turn the world upside down through, through, through love, not through politics. My wife Lisa and I have a friend, Steve Yetten, who shared this personal illustration of this kind of ripened fruit that the Apostle Paul is describing in uh, Galatians chapter five that's expressed not through politics, but actually kind of in spite of politics. And uh, Steve happens to be the preacher at the first Christian church in Columbus, Indiana. And that's the church where uh, my wife's mother attends. She's a member there in Columbus, Indiana. But it's not only that, Steve Yetten, uh, we, we actually went to college with Steve uh, at seminary back in the day. And, uh, but even more than that, my wife, Lisa, and Steve went to church camp together back in the early 1980s. Uh, that was back in the days when your white socks were long and your shorts were like really short, like scary short, you know what I'm talking about? And now for some reason, our socks are short and our shorts are long, go figure. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, so, so we've known Steve for a long time. And uh, Steve uh, told his congregation this summer, he, he said this, in the weeks since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, protests against police injustice uh, broke out all over our country. And as we know, some of these protests turned violent, not all of them, but some of them. Most protesters simply wanted to draw attention to those injustices they believe were committed in the name of law enforcement. One of those protesters was a man in Louisville, Kentucky, not too far from Columbus, Indiana, by the name of Darren Lee Jr. And maybe some of you saw his story that was published in the news. He was involved in a protest in downtown Louisville. And the atmosphere of this protest was drawing very tense, very heated. At one point, uh, in, the, in one area, protesters were growing violent. They jumped on a police car and they were banging on it and banging on the windshield. So another squad car pulled up to assist and a police officer got out of that second car and he was all in his 40 pounds of riot gear and uh, he was trying to make his way through the crowd and he, got, he suddenly found himself separated from his other officers. He was surrounded by uh, angry protesters, protesters yelling profanities at him and their fists were getting balled up. And it didn't look good. He was alone and he was scared. He tried to reason with the crowd, but his, his uh, words were drowned out by the shouts and the insults of the crowd. And he knew all it would take would be for one person to make a move. And like a spark that lights a fire, it would be all over. All someone would need to do is to throw a punch or to kick him or whatever. And he would be surrounded, even overwhelmed by a pile of people. And that's when Darren Lee, this protester, stepped out of the crowd turned around and positioned himself between the officer and the angry protesters. You can see that in the picture right here. 
And soon a few other protesters did likewise. They linked arms with Darren Lee and provided a circle of defense around the officer. The protesters, who a moment before were yelling profanities at the officer, now turned their wrath on these traitors in their eyes. One of them demanded, how can you defend him? How can you protect that officer? But within a couple minutes, thankfully, it was all over. A third squad car pulled up, and Lee and these other guys escorted the officer to the safety of that vehicle. Well, Steve, our friend, thought about that story a lot after it was published. Here was a black man someone who most likely had experienced some of the injustices that he was protesting about. Here he was to protest the injustices of law enforcement, but now he had suddenly become a defender of a police officer, even at the risk of his own safety. And the more and more that Steve thought about the actions of Darren Lee, the more he realized where he had seen this kind of mature love, this maturity to protect the peace. It's in scripture, isn't it? And so that made Steve think to himself, I just wonder. I wonder about this guy. So he contacted him through a private message on Facebook, and uh, he messaged him saying, uh, Darren, I just want to commend you for that act of bravery and, ex- and expression of humanity. But I'm curious, what role, if any, faith may have played in your actions on that day? And while a person doesn't need to be a Christ follower to do good actions for people, Christ follows Christ followers should never fail to do good uh, for others because of the one who dwells inside of us. And so I'm just wondering, one, are you a Christian? And two, if so, how did your faith uh, play into the actions that you took that day? So he sent his message off and surprisingly, he got an answer back relatively quickly. And he gave Steve permission to share his reply. He told Steve, I am a Christian. And I wasn't thinking that day about what could happen to me. I just wanted to do the right thing and to peacefully protest. All I can say is that God was watching over us and he made us do what we did that day. He protected us that day as well. Thank you for your message. May God continue to bless you and your family. You know what? The world doesn't understand that kind of mature fruit when it first sees it, does it? It's evidenced by the shouts and the profanities that were thrown in his direction when he started defending the police officer. But listen, our world is gonna be turned upside down when they get to personally taste the fruit of lives that have been transformed by the Spirit of God. Fully formed, mature fruit. Fully formed, mature followers of Jesus Christ. So let's reread that passage one more time. This is the goal that we have, to be fully formed, fully ripened followers of Jesus Christ that will turn the world upside down. The Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How ripe are you? You know, back in 1781, at that Battle of Yorktown that the musical Hamilton depicts, legend has it that General George Washington actually forced the British army to play the old British tune, The World Turned Upside Down, as they were surrendering their weapons to the American army. Now, most of us think that General George Washington was this diplomatic, kind soul. But I'm telling you what, that is stone cold, isn't it? I mean, he's a bad dude making them play the song 
the world turned upside down as they surrendered. But it's my prayer that our world, our neighboring community, which seems to be in an extended cultural war with the church and the biblical values, that they will one day sing the same song, the world turned upside down as they surrender and give up their arms in a battle that has been won through love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're challenged by your word. It's living and active and it cuts us right to the heart. And we're challenged to discover within ourselves how we fall short of looking just like your son, Jesus Christ. For some of us, we're new to this journey and we realize that we need to surrender at all to you. But for the rest of us in this room or that we're worshiping online, we realize we've got a lot of maturing yet to do. So we're so, we're so thankful that this is the fruit of the Spirit, that your Holy Spirit is the one who is changing us and transforming us. And so we pray that you would continue to have the Holy Spirit work in our lives so that we become more and more mature, more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ, to the point where the, the world would surrender their arms and because the world has been turned upside down by your church. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.